Well, did you miss me? I'm back. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here on my show. Thank you very much for the kind words from so many of you while I've been gone these last couple of days. And thanks to Alan Sanders and to Chris Burns for filling in. Uh, gosh, I, I needed it, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but we got headlines we got to deal with. Uh, the president will have an executive order coming out uh, at noon today on the police and, and police reform. We will I'll get into that here in a little bit. I want to start, though, with the Richard uh, Brooks situation in Atlanta, and I, I do have to tell you, um, I, I never, and if you talk to Charlie or Philip, they can attest to this, uh, I never ever completely unplug and it, it is it is very hard for me to do in fact when i went to uh it went with chris burns as a matter of fact and philip to las vegas in november gosh i'm ready to go back um i don't even gamble i'm just ready to go somewhere and they they had the wi-fi to my hotel room turned off so i was forced to unplug uh, which was discombobulated. I had a cell phone enabled iPad, so they couldn't completely stop me. But by and large, yep, I mean, they, they, they took all my electronics away. Uh, that's what you have to do to get me to unplug. And, and this time I finally realized I was just so overwhelmed with all the headlines and the nonstop news and not having had a break uh, since Christmas and uh, not being able to go home for a funeral and, and on and on. I just finally was on the verge of snapping. And I'm thinking, in three weeks for the 4th of July, I'm going away for, for a week. And my wife's like, you can't, you're not going to make it those three weeks if you don't go now. Uh, and so I, I went away for a couple of days, went to Lake Burton. I'd never been to beautiful Rabin County. I am suddenly a massive fan. Uh, my goodness, is Lake Burton beautiful. Gracious. Uh, but in, in any event, while I was there, the Richard Brooks, Richard Brooks situation happened. And I did not know anything about it until I came home on uh, late Sunday. I was listening to the news, trying to catch up, heard Wendy's was burning. There was a police shooting in Atlanta. Police fired. Uh, the, the chief of police resigns. What on earth is going on? And y'all, I'm sorry, but we've got to be able to distinguish things. Let me give you the fact pattern in the Richard Brooks situation. Uh, a, an individual, he, he's, uh, he's got a criminal record. He's, he's out of jail. He's in a Wendy's drive through and he's so inebriated. He falls asleep and holds up the line. So they call the cops, the police arrive. They have to bang on the window to wake him up repeatedly to get him to arouse him. Uh, they're able to pull him over and get him parked and out of the car they ask him to do a field sobriety test. He is very cooperative the entire time. A uh, black man with two white police officers. They're there for about 30 minutes and everything is calm. Everything is fine. And then they decide to put Mr. Brooks's hands behind his back to handcuff him, at which point he loses his mind. Now, this is very important. What happens next happens in about a minute. So you've got 30 minutes of calm and all hell breaks loose for a minute where Richard Brooks uh, knocks down the two police officers, grabs one of their tasers, begins to run. The other police officer has his taser, is chasing Richard Brooks. 
Uh, he fires his taser at Mr. Brooks. Brooks turns around with his taser, uh, it aims it sort of towards the police officer. It's more up in the air, at which point the police officer unholsters his gun, fires three times, and kills Richard Brooks. All of that happened in less than a minute. Now, what th- that happened in less time than it takes Chris Cuomo to go through this. I see poor technique and that matters in this analysis. If you can't do your job using minimal force, you wind up using more and more force. Hence, two officers not being able to control in a struggle that anybody who's had any measure of fight training sees, they don't know what they're doing on the ground with this man. They don't. I'm sorry. No disrespect to police. I have high regard for how many of you do the job, men and women. This is not good technique. They then use the taser because they could not control him. He then gets the taser. And then what you happen, see here ensues. He gets away from two officers because they don't know how to restrain him. He takes off. The officer then shoots toward Brooks and hits him. Okay. Now, did he have the taser? Yes. Did he appear to reach behind his shoulder and shoot at the officer as he was running away? Yes. The officer is Garrett Rolf, R-O-L-F-E. Rolf is chasing a man who's running away and shoots him twice in the back. What transpired happened in less than a minute. That clip of Chris Cuomo was a minute, 13 seconds for him to try to find a point, which he never found other than to slam the police officers and say that, that they didn't do it, that, that Chris Cuomo from his armchair at CNN headquarters, safely ensconced uh, post quarantine in New York city can determine from the video better than what actually happened on the ground in that minute. Y'all, I just need you to understand here that you can't armchair quarterback the police in situations like this. I mean, can you not see the difference between the George Floyd situation and, and this situation? This situation happened in less than a minute. With George Floyd, the police officer had his knee on his on Floyd's neck for eight minutes, 46 seconds. You had eight minutes there where you could figure out something different. Here you had less than a minute. And for all of the, the we're, we're seeing mythology building right now as well. Uh, very much like in, in, in Michael Brown, can we have these situations without mythology? Hands up, don't shoot is mythology. Uh, shooting Richard Brooks in the back is mythology. Was Brooks running away? Yes. But it ignores the fact that Brooks turned and aimed the taser to fire it, and the police officer pulls his gun out immediately and shoots him. Now, for all the people say, but I saw the video, but you saw a slowed down video. The videos that are not, are showing this are not showing you in real time. They're showing you a slowed down video that makes it look like it lasted longer than it actually did. The entire thing was about a minute long. I'm I'm not in the business of armchair quarterbacking the police who are in tense situations. And by the way, I just need to say this. 
there are legitimate questions as to why certain outcomes happen more often to black people than white people, and we don't need to dance around those either. Dylan Roof, who shot up the church in Charleston, South Carolina, the police bought him Burger King. There are real substantive, serious situations in this country with racial disparities. There, there are videos my wife was telling me one the other day about a white dude who uh, beat up the cops and tried to steal their police car and got out of this alive. Would it have happened to a black man? I have a hard time believing so. There are real issues here we don't need to dance around. But there are other real issues as well. Uh, these are highly tense situations, and you and I know with certainty that if we create a highly charged, tense situation with the police, knock both of them over the on, onto the ground, steal their taser, run, and then turn to fire it, we're going to get shot too. Doesn't matter what our color is. To the extent that we wouldn't get shot, maybe we can ask a question. Would a white man uh, have it different than a black man? Some, some people will say yes. I don't think you could know in a situation like this. And I'm not prepared to armchair quarterback the police. Well, there sure are a lot of experts on the police. This is the worst thing about social media. You know, when there's an, an election in Israel, which is a, a complicated system that involves um, uh, proportional representation in the Knesset, we suddenly have a bunch of experts on Twitter. And, and the Israeli elections experts uh, all of a sudden morph into epidemiological experts. Most of the epidemiological experts online now have become civil rights experts. It is amazing how many white millennials march with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It is absolutely staggering how many of them were there. And they're also now police experts as well. Uh, and you've got now Chris Cuomo, who is not a police officer, uh, with his expert commentary on, on how uh, poorly behaved and trained and, and, and operating these police officers in Atlanta were based on, on body cam footage, among other things. I, I got to tell you, every single police officer that I know, every single police officer I know, uh, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and I know a lot of police, a lot of police officers listen, listen to this show. And a lot of them have chimed in uh, while I was gone and, and, and back, and I haven't responded to your emails yet, I, I will, on, on how upset they were with the George Floyd, George, George Floyd situation. You've got uh, multiple sheriffs coming out in the state of Georgia, black and white, defending these police officers in Atlanta. You've got, I, I've talked now to a couple of people uh, close to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation who said this, this was, they, they followed the book. They did nothing wrong, but you got an armchair quarterback on CNN said, oh, yeah, listen, this was, I see bad technique. I, I, I see, see bad technique. Um, I'm not going to second guess these police officers, and I'm not going to be whipped into a frenzy by all of these things. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, here we go. Um, Cuomo, Chris Cuomo was educated at the Albany Academy, a private university preparatory day school in Albany, New York, followed by Yale, where he obtained an undergraduate degree in Fordham, where he obtained his JD in 1995. He's a licensed attorney. He was a correspondent for Fox News and for Fox Files on the Fox Broadcast Network. He was at 2020. He looked at the heroin addiction uh, he was with Good Morning America for a while. He has a website, Cuomo on the case. He's got a CNN morning show. 
And he's also got a, a two-hour weekday radio program, Let's Get After It, on POTUS channel on Sirius XM. Uh, he's got, uh, he has a documentary series. I, I don't see any law enforcement experience for Chris Cuomo. I, 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 I don't see, uh, oh, let, let's see. I, I see, uh, um, on October 13th, on August 13th, 2019, Cuomo threatened to throw a heckler down a flight of stairs at a bar and chastise him with profanity-laced insults. Amid the COVID-19 pandemic, Cuomo announced on March 31st that he had been diagnosed. Uh, he, he claimed hallucinations of his dead father. He, uh, on April 22nd, his wife revealed their 14-year-old son had tested positive for the disease. He broke quarantine and then faked a, a release from quarantine. Uh, I, I, that, that's, I, may, maybe he's had encounters with law enforcement where he was coming out of his house when he was supposed to be in quarantine, and that makes him an expert. I don't know. But he's not a police expert to sit there and take longer to explain why this was poor technique than the entire incident happened. Uh, is armchair quarterbacking at its finest? There are bad police officers who do bad things. But again, I just I have a real hard time sitting here on a Tuesday morning in June looking at that video of something that happens in about a minute that is slowed down for all the armchair experts to nitpick over and say, yeah, I would have done this differently. You know, maybe I would have. Maybe you would have. But we weren't there. It's one thing to look at the George Floyd situation and say, you had eight minutes and 46 seconds. You can come up with something different. It's another thing to look at the Ahmed Arbery situation and say, Wait a second, even the police wanted to pursue this and the DA blocked it. What's up with that? And those are completely different from the Richard Brooks situation where in a 30-minute civil conversation with this individual, things go nuts. And in less than a minute, Richard Brooks is dead, having fought two police officers, pushed them to the ground, grabbed a taser, run, and then turned to fire at the police officer who then pulls his gun and fires. If you and I did the same thing, the odds are we would have been shot too. And that is a fundamental thing that the armchair quarterbacks at CNN and the like seem to completely miss in this. You weren't there. You talk to any police officer. And again, uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, I, 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 I hear from across the board, male, female. The footage that you see with the body cam does not convey the intensity of the situations on the ground. We are in high stakes, high stress situations at a time when a whole lot of people are shooting at the police, are, are putting stuff in their milkshakes, are, are glass shards in the food of a police officer, refusal. The, the police are under assault. They feel embattled. Tensions are already high. You get a situation like this, something like that's going to happen. It's unfortunate that it happens, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you this police officer is, is bad, a criminal, or should go to jail. And by the way, uh, he's been fired, and I assume he'll have his job reinstated. He'll have to sue for reinstatement if he wants it because I, I, I can't understand why this guy should be disciplined, let alone prosecuted by a corrupt district attorney uh, who's out to try to make a name for himself and win re-election, which is what's happening in Atlanta. Uh, Paul Howard in a in being investigated by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. He's in a runoff against an employee at the DA's office, suddenly championing these cases of, of supposed police brutality in Atlanta, uh, trying to make a name against the police to try to win himself re-election on the votes of black voters in Atlanta. Uh, all of this is being dragged into politics. Are we not supposed to point that 
that out as well. There's, There are times you can look at this stuff and say it's wrong and you can know it's wrong. And there are times you can look at it and say, hey, I wasn't there. I'm not going to armchair quarterback this situation. And this is one of those times where I think, you know, not all police are bad police. And sometimes they're doing their job and the situation goes awry and it's not their fault. Yeah, the Georgia legislature's back. You probably want to sign up to, for the activist list. Uh, the phone number here, you can text the word ARMY to 33777 if you want to make that happen. If you want to call the program today, happy to take your phone calls. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, one of the things that's missing in the coverage of the situation in Atlanta, going going back to this prior point on here, this police shooting and, and the two police officers, two black police officers who smashed the windows and tasered the college students who were also black in Atlanta, uh, the, the district attorney wants to prosecute them all. And what the national media is missing is Paul Howard is the district attorney in Atlanta for Fulton County. And he is embattled and trying to win re-election. He is under investigation uh, by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation for potentially having used a nonprofit that he created to supplement his income, among other things. And he's being challenged by someone who works at the district attorney's office, and she made it into a runoff with him. And so Howard is trying to feed the grievances of these news cycles to win re-election. He is amplifying them. And for all of the credit I've given to Keisha Lance Bottoms, and I think I've been fairly fair and uh, to the point some of you have complained that I, I've been too praiseworthy, she has handled the situation badly and I think has handled it uh, much more emotionally than she should. I, I understand the strains. I understand the people who are angry and want to protest. I understand the horror of seeing the Ahmaud Arbery situation and that video and then the George Floyd situation, and now this happens, I get that. But also, I do think, very much so, that you have to be able to distinguish the situations. Uh, I'm also, I, I got to tell you, um, one of the things, that, and I'll, I'll spend more time on this later, the the just the quest to care and to make you care about stuff. I mean, I wrote a book called You Will Be Made to Care on how people force you to try to care about stuff and care in the way they want you to care or else uh, the mob comes and bullies you and you better care. But this whole whipping you into a frenzy that you must care about this and you must care about it in this way and you must say certain things. And if you don't, the mob will come for you. I think that breeds resentment. I, I have this sneaking suspicion that by all all odds, the president should lose his reelection campaign. You've got the societal mess of Lyndon Johnson, the economic mess of Jimmy Carter, and the Supreme Court mess of George H.W. Bush, all in the final year of Donald Trump's tenure in office. He should, on paper, lose. I suspect that we're going to see a massive crime wave from cities where the police decide, you know what, it's not worth it. And that's going to help win the president's reelection. I, I, the, the president running this law and order campaign, I, I think he needs to phrase it differently. But I, I, I really do think that we're going to see a situation in this country where the police just say, you know what, screw it. Why, why should I go there? We're seeing this in Seattle where the police, the 911 operators, they're not sending police into that, that supposed autonomous zone or anywhere near it. And I suspect you're going to see this. 19 police officers in Atlanta have walked off the job 
in response to the firing of this police officer who, who shot Richard Brooks. In New York City, you're seeing police leave. In Boston, you're seeing police leave. You're going to see crime escalate in major cities in this country, which will push people to the suburbs and make them vote for law and order candidates. That could win the president his reelection. It is Eric Erickson here, 35 after the hour. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-973-7425. To the phone, Scott in Marietta, you're going to be up first today. Welcome. Hi. Um, Hi Your Uber is right if he would have called it before he drove to the Wendy's. He drove to the Wendy's drunk. It's just by the grace of God somebody else wasn't killed. I mean... You know, uh, uh, driving drunk, it's a loaded gun you're walking around in public with. I mean, sorry, he should have been arrested. Yeah, he, he should have been arrested, and, and they were attempting to do so. Now, I, I listen, I, I'm, I'm cautious in, in going down this road, but it is my understanding uh, that there were – he was out of jail for reasons and could potentially have gone back to jail, which may explain why he – uh, reacted in the way he did, um, and they they needed to take him in. I mean, where was the guy going to go? Was he going to get in a different car? He, he wanted them apparently to take him to somewhat relative's house. Uh, you know, and here's the thing. This this is the thing. For all of the, the Chris Cuomo armchair quarterbacking um, that you listen to, the police for 30 minutes – for 30 minutes, they were with this guy. They, they they walked fairly well hand in glove with this guy. They talked to the guy. They calmed the guy. They wanted to check on him. Uh, they, they were very deliberate in trying to wake him up. I mean, you can see all of that. And then in that one minute, things go sideways. And suddenly the police are the bad guys. If you've listened to this program, I am fully able and willing to criticize bad police. But I very much do not think that we need to do the armchair quarterbacking of Chris Cuomo, a man who is not an expert, a man who doesn't really, I mean, he he hasn't been in these situations. He can pretend all he wants. But the most tense situation Cuomo seems to have been in is, is having somebody yell Frito at him and, and claim that it's a racist slur somehow against Italians. I I, I just I'm 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 sorry. I'm I'm not going to, to lambast this police officer for doing what happened. Particularly in, in that minute. Now, uh, we, we can we can move on here. I, I just have you noticed gun sales increasing, though? I, I keep wanting to go down to, to uh, Butler to uh, Barrow Automotive, which is such a good gun store. We've got our 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 friend Robert and his wife have moved from California over here. And my wife is just insistent. We like round up uh, Charlie and his wife, Philip and his wife, uh, Robert and his wife and go down to the gun store and, and have some sort of family vacation. The problem is I don't have the money to buy a gun right now. Uh, but uh, guns are not only flying off the shelves, but also uh, it is uh, ammunition. It's actually harder to find ammunition right now than it is to find guns right now, which is striking. 
Uh, I've had multiple friends of mine tell me they are developing a habit of making their own ammunition. And even that, they're having a hard time getting supplies to make their own ammunition. Uh, it, it just, my goodness gracious. Um, in any event, uh, I, I can move on from there. We need to talk about the Supreme Court stuff. Um, you know what? Actually, before we get to the Supreme Court stuff, what, one more. I, I don't mean to, to spend my time on CNN, but this other one for, from Brian Stetler on CNN is, is crazy. Well, look, to be clear, this is a police-free zone, mostly police-free. Some police have come in. It amounts to about six blocks. Look at this map. Okay, it looks pretty big if you show the map, right, really zoomed in. But when you zoom way out, you see this is just a small part of Seattle. Now, here's what Fox News did on the web. Uh, we can go. Let's zoom the map out. Let's just go ahead and show the, the zoomed-out map if we can. I just want to make the point this is a small part of a big city, and that's not being reflected in the coverage. <laughs> it's a big city. So, wait a second. You've got uh, you've got six blocks that have been taken over by these Antifa people, and uh, the the whole place has turned to chaos. And it's just six blocks of a really big city. Do you know they stormed City Hall and demanded the ouster of the mayor because she won't defund the police? the The whole thing is a little silly. Um, it, it just it, the the apology. See it. This is what frustrates me. CNN claims to be an objective network and we are increasingly in a situation where this network has decided to go all in on la resistance it really is remarkable uh you've got oliver darcy who i know and like but let me read you part part of what he wrote uh which is crazy uh armed militant activists with the group antifa have seized a sizable section of seattle and are plotting to expand their territory all as local police surrender them and evacuate a local precinct, or so the story goes. If you've relied on right-wing media for your news this week, we have now we ha, you have now talk about armed volunteers of Antifa to guard their cop-free zone and are and taking over precincts. Sean Hannity told viewers Wednesday night, "It is true. Demonstrators have occupied a small six-square-block section of Seattle and designated it an autonomous zone, and it is true." Then after clashes with police, a precinct was boarded up and evacuated in an attempt to de-escalate the situation. But claims that bands of militant Antifa members are roaming the Seattle streets appear to be grossly exaggerated in right-wing media. In fact, according to the Seattle mayor's office, city officials haven't seen any evidence to indicate our members of Antifa are even on the ground after they storm City Hall. Let's not believe our lying eyes. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, I, I just, wow. Um, okay. We will move on now because we have this from the president of the United States. Man, are his supporters livid, and we should discuss. And I wonder if they've heard the president's response. What am I talking about? Well, just figure it out from this. Go ahead, please. Did you have reaction to the Supreme Court decisions earlier today about uh, LGBT discrimination saying that is protected under the Civil Rights Act? No, they've ruled. Uh, I've read the decision, and some people were surprised, but uh, they've ruled, and we live with their decision. That's what it's all about. We live with the decision of the Supreme Court. Very powerful, a very powerful decision, actually. Uh, but uh, they have so ruled. They have so ruled. I have read the decision. Very powerful decision. This is the uh, Supreme Court decision yesterday written by Butt Gorsuch 
to uh, say that sexual orientation and transgenderism are covered under the uh, Title VII employment discrimination provisions. Now, what is this? Title VII, uh, that's part of the federal code, prohibits the firing of someone because of their race, religion, ethnicity, or sex. Now, interestingly enough, uh, sex is in there because of a matter of trolling. A Democratic member of Congress, who was the chairman of the committee overseeing this in the Senate at the time, uh, decided to add sex in the list because he assumed it would kill the legislation. So he put the provision of sex in, thinking that uh, the members of the United States Congress would kill the legislation if they knew it protected the women folk, too. It didn't. It passed. Uh, And from that time until now, it has always been recognized as being uh, sex, meaning male versus female. And no one really thought anything about it until Neil Gorsuch came along yesterday. And his argument, you can say, is a textualist argument, but I've got problems with it. What Gorsuch said is that let's just let me give you this hypothetical. You have a man and a woman in the office. Uh, You've got Bob and Karen. And Bob and Karen are both in love with Bill, who also works in the office. Bill is married and feels it is awkward. Bob gets fired and Karen does not. Why does Bob get fired and not Karen? Because Bob is gay. Because Bob uh, related to a man in a way that men should not. That you are therefore discriminating against Bob under the the sex provision of Title VII by saying he is he is behaving in a way that a man should not behave. A man should not be physically, sexually attracted to another man. It's, it's okay for Karen uh, because she's a woman and women are sexually attracted to people of the opposite sex, but the same-sex attraction is wrong, therefore Bob's fired. That, that's discrimination under sex. Now, you can, you can disagree, but it's, it's, it's not a bad argument from Gorsuch's standpoint. Here's the problem. Uh, you can agree with the outcome, and, and by the way, I I, I kind of do, uh, with the exception of, of religious institutions, uh, and by, most Fortune 500 companies wouldn't do this. Uh, this was actually a city government, though, and it, I frankly think it should trouble us that a city government would fire someone uh, just because they're gay. All of us should be allowed to work a, a, for a city, and a city should not be able to fire any of us because we're gay. We're all taxpayers. We all got to work for the city. I think there's a difference between a religious-based organization and a city. The problem, though, is this. Uh, Congress has on multiple occasions attempted to add sexual orientation to the statute, which suggests that the authors of the statute knew the statute did not apply. And because the authors of the statute knew that it did not apply and they could not get the votes to do it, the Supreme Court should not have stepped in and said, hey, uh, Congress clearly doesn't think this. They're the, the best arbiter of what is and is not the law. And uh, we clearly we're not going to add something that Congress can't add. Uh, we got to know our place. They didn't do that. They said, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're going to we're going to add this novel interpretation of what sex means. Now, before you on the left cheer too hard, you should also understand, I suspect there are some clever games being played. I, I am in the camp that believes there are clever games being played. Here, here's here's where we go. Um. The chief justice is considered the ranking member of the Supreme Court. Even if they're brand new, they're the ranking member. 
And so if the chief justice is in the mind, in the majority, the chief justice gets to assign who writes the case. So it is arguable that the chief justice signed on to the majority so that he could have Gorsuch write the case opinion instead of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who would otherwise be the senior justice, instead of having Ginsburg assign the opinion. That, that's, that's possible. But here's the other thing. I, I have read the decision, and what is very notable is that this is the first time the Supreme Court opines that there are only two sexes. There is male and there is female. And they are in and Gorsuch is very, very careful in threading the needle on transgenderism. That essentially transgenderism is a, a man who behaves like a woman or a woman who behaves like a man. It is transgender status, he says. He doesn't use the phrase gender identity. He he doesn't refer to gender identity. And this is the Supreme Court experience seemingly explicitly saying that there are two sexes. Now, the way I read the decision, and other people disagree with me, but the way I read the decision is Gorsuch preemptively moving pieces on the on the board for when the case inevitably comes of the boys who want to compete in the girls' sports. And Gorsuch is essentially stacking the deck against them with this decision that uh, there are differences between the sexes. And you cannot fire someone of one sex for acting like a member of the opposite sex. Uh, but those are behavioral, not biological. And the, the great divide shapes up in this case between behavioral and biological. Which suggests to me Gorsuch goes through such pains on this and also gives the Religious Freedom Restoration Act almost super uh, statutory status, meaning uh, he puts a great deal of weight on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, saying essentially uh, that Christians, don't you worry about this, you'll be protected. Now, there is a problem, though. What about uh, an organization that is explicitly Christian but is not a nonprofit? You've got the Hobby Lobby situation where the government can impose that cannot impose things on explicitly Christian organizations that are private. And by private, I mean they're not publicly traded. Hobby Lobby is, is a small corporation held by a single family or Conestoga Wagon or, or Little Sisters of the Poor. What about my kids' Christian school? My kids go to a Christian school, teaches uh, biblical orthodoxy, uh, biblical sexual orthodoxy. Homosexuality is a sin. Uh, divorce and, and adultery are wrong. Uh, the Bible is real and Jesus is real and uh, believes in the inerrancy of Scripture. It's the way I want my children raised. Those are my values, and I want my children to reflect my values. I believe they're true and give them everlasting life by putting their faith in Christ. And I can foresee with this opinion we're going to have problems down the road where unaffiliated religious groups, that is, groups that are not directly connected to a church, will the, the gay rights activists will target them first because the ministerial exception will apply to churches and to church-run entities. 
but if a if you've got a coming together a non-denominational Christian entity that is not presided over by a potential by one church, you could potentially have some problems down the road. Uh, we will see. There's a big religious liberty case the Supreme Court is going to come out with. A lot of people say in Gorsuch the the reason he went the way he went now is because they're going to use the religious liberty case that's coming with Catholic charities in Philadelphia uh, being punished for not doing gay adoption. That they will use that as a case to carve out broad exceptions for the religious, in which case this is a non-factor. But I do wonder if you can put June 15th down as the day the president potentially lost his reelection uh, because of Neil Gorsuch. So many conservatives uh, basically hinged their decision to vote for Donald Trump on his picks for the Supreme Court and his pick to replace Antonin Scalia as the guy who did this. Will some of them use this as an excuse to just wash their hands of the whole situation and say, you know what, I'm done. Uh, not gonna, not gonna participate anymore. Some of them might. I don't think it'll be enough, but some of them will. But it was a big monumental decision, and uh, the left is super happy about it, uh, as they should be. It was a big win for the left. But I suspect the way Gorsuch wrote it, it will actually give conservatives, uh, particularly those dealing with the transgenderism issue, the J.K. Rowlings of the world, if you will, will give them some protections later down the road. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, one key takeaway is I I continue to believe, and, and those of you who get tired of me talk, talking Jesus, you're just going to have to excuse me for a moment. I continue to believe we're going through a great sorting, and by, by we, I mean the church. There are a whole lot of people in this country who consider themselves Christian evangelicals who have been looking for political saviors to their spiritual problems. And you see this in, in some of the affinity with evangelicalism for Donald Trump, that Donald Trump is somehow going to save them from these culture, from the cultural rot of the country. When the cultural rot of the country is from a spiritual problem is spiritual origin, not from a physical origin. So a lot of people, Donald Trump had a Supreme Court seat open with Antonin Scalia's death, and a lot of people said, we've got to go with Donald Trump to because of the Supreme Court, because of the judges. So he puts Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, and Neil Gorsuch uh, writes an opinion yesterday that establishes sexual orientation as a protected class under federal law and will potentially harm uh, faith-based institutions that are not directly affiliated with churches as a result. You could see uh, faith-based institutions be uh, more persecuted and more harassed. And so what you're seeing now is a great sorting where the people can't fully trust the sovereignty of God because they're also fully trusting the sovereignty of the presidency and the Supreme Court to protect them from the mob. Uh, Donald Trump can't protect you from a cultural rot that is a spiritual-based problem. And we see this time and time again with, with the compromises made with the world by a lot of Christians who have just decided, if if I only do X, Y, and Z, by the way, this, this doesn't just go for conservatives. Don't, don't hear me calling out the right when there's the left in there as well. How many people, well-meaning Christians, have essentially decided to sit on the sidelines of the, the sexual revolution, sit on the sidelines of, of everything, uh, and refuse to take stands in the name of being liked. Well, we don't want to call people out in, in culture for their, their lifestyle because we want to be liked. We want to be loved. 
We need to engage the culture. If we go around telling people they're going to hell because they're gay and they're they're in a same-sex relationship or they're uh, committing adultery or or they're living in sin and they're not married, uh, then we're just we're not going to be loved. We're not going to be accepted. We we can't talk about those things. And yet here comes culture and demands they take a stand. And their stand is either to say, you know what, we actually believe what we really believe, and culture hates them, or they abandon what they believe and go into culture. Uh, there is a great sorting happening. You see this with Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. This is a ridiculous story. The pastor at Church of the Highlands liked some tweets by Charlie Kirk about the president. And the city of Birmingham and the school system in Birmingham, Alabama, have decided to sever all ties with the Church of the Highlands. Now, for, for the record, the Church of the Highlands conducted the first drive-through COVID-19 test in Birmingham free of charge. It operates a clinic for the poor. It is highly engaged in the community. And because the pastor dared to like some tweets by Charlie Kirk, suddenly the city and the school board and the county want nothing to do with the church. You will be made to care. They will make you care. God will make you care. You, you, you can't try to split the baby. So many Christians want to try to split the baby in society, and it's not going to work. And you, you're not going to find political saviors for sp spiritual problems. Those spiritual problems have to be dealt with. Uh, Donald Trump can't stop what's coming because what's coming is not of the world. And there are a whole lot of Christians who seem to have forgotten uh, that what's coming is not really of the world. Uh, you, you can see the divine hand and so much of what is shaping out in society right now. Uh, it's kind of amazing to watch when you look at it from that perspective. Hello, hello. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Across the state of Georgia, Doug Collins going to join me at the bottom of the hour. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Man, hang on a second. Hang on. Um, yes, he did. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I'm. I'm. There. There are trolls on Twitter having having to dispatch them so I can focus on you guys. Uh, I'll I'll turn off my web browser now. Um, I, I there's there's no reason to review everything I said in the first hour, but but just just a couple of points on on the Richard Brooks situation. Uh, it is amazing to see the mythology that is being built. And I don't intend to cause a riot. Uh, you program directors, I apologize in advance if there's rioting, but let, let me just tell you exactly what I think. That, that That's what you people listen to me for. There's a difference between a one-minute encounter that ends in the death of Rashard Brooks, and it was a one-minute encounter, turned 30 minutes, and then one minute's all hell breaks loose, versus eight minutes, 46 seconds of putting your knee on a man's neck. And I'm not going to armchair quarterback the police officer in the Rashard Brooks situation. What I do know is that a mythology is being built that Rashard Brooks was shot in the back while he was running away. Uh, no, actually, he turned and pointed and fired a taser at the police officer. You point a weapon at a police officer and fire, you're going to get shot. I don't care what your race is. That is just the reality. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and armchair quarterback what the police officer should or should not have done. Uh, and it is mythology to say Michael Brown and Ferguson, hands up, don't shoot. It is mythology to say Rashard Brooks was just shot in the back as he's running away. Not, nothing else happened. Uh, that is mythology. 
And if we want to have a, an honest conversation in this country about the history of race and racial uh, injustice, uh, going to, it, it, we can't couple it with purges and historic revisionism, and we can't couple it with mythology. Um, I, I, I saw someone this weekend actually put that up. One of my few encounters with Twitter while I was on vacation, I, I saw someone wound up, maybe it was yesterday that yes, we should have honest conversations in this country about our past, but combining it with per concurrent purges is not the way to have that honest conversation. And that seems to be where the left wants to head in this country. I, I just, I've got the sneaking suspicion. Well, first of all, let, let me let me just say, so I, I was, I went um, Friday to Lake Burton in Rabin County. Uh, I have never been to Lake Burton. I have never been to Rabin County. And I should. In fact, I got to be in Clarksville on Thursday, which is Habersham County, uh, just south of Rabin County. Man, I, I finally made it to Wander, North Georgia. I have always wanted to go to the store. If you if you don't know what the store is, uh, up in in Clayton, uh, which is in Rabin County, uh, there is a store called Wander, North Georgia. It is a store made for for hiking the mountains of North Georgia for camping out. It is the coolest little store, and I have followed them on social media for a while. I have seen so many people who have interacted with them, so many people I know go up to Rabin County and go to the store, and finally I got to do it, and it was great. Uh, wonderful people, wonderful store. Um, it, it's just, it was neat. Uh, the, the whole downtown Clayton area was neat if you've never been up there. Uh, I, I don't want to tell I stayed at the Waterfall Club. I'm not going to tell you how I stayed there other than to tell you that I did, and I had a balcony that looked out over Lake Burton and the golf course, and it was glorious, and I just, I rested, I relaxed. I, I, I fell asleep on a porch, which anyone who knows me knows I don't do. I don't sleep outside. There are bugs, and yet I did. It was relaxing, and uh, Rabin County was great. It was a little bit disconcerting, I have to say, uh, because I haven't really noticed in a while. You know, if you head south from Macon and head down towards Valdosta, Eventually, you will come across a ginormous Confederate flag flying on a flagpole. And it's kind of jarring. It's so big. Uh, it's like if you head north, uh, you, you get, uh, where is it, Jodico Road, headed into Atlanta. There's that storage facility. There's this massive American flag. And it is huge. If you're on 75, you know what I'm talking about. You're headed from the south side of Atlanta. You're, you're headed up towards Atlanta. You're north of Locust Grove. You're the Jodico Road area. There's a huge American flag that flies. And you head south towards Valdosta. I think it's between Tifton and Valdosta. There is a massive Confederate flag uh, that is just as big. And it is so jarring to see a Confederate flag that big flying in the wind. And otherwise, you don't really see them. You used to see a lot of the Georgia uh, flag that had the Confederate flag on it. And, and over time, fewer and fewer of those are around. Uh, but headed into Rabin County, the number of people who had uh, the, the old Georgia flag with the Confederate uh, with the Confederate battle flag on it. And then there was this rebel store in, in Clayton as you're getting into town that sells Confederate paraphernalia. I was just like, well, what world am I in? Now, I've had several people tell me, hey, hey, don't don't paint Rabin County like this. This is the tourists. The tourists are the ones who brought that up. I don't, I'm just saying, I was shocked. I, I went in, you particularly given what's going on in the country right now. And, and here I come across this, this rebel store. It's called Rebels, I do believe. And uh, sells Confederate outfits, I guess, judging by the sign. Lots of Confederate battle flags. Well, what on earth is this? 
But then you get into downtown, and it's just, man, uh, Clayton was nice. The weather was beautiful. Uh, there's a, a a place in Clayton, Georgia called Universal Junction and uh, had hands down the best tacos I have had. Uh, brisket tacos in particular, just exceptional food. Uh, and it was just, it was nice. So th- that that's that's what, no, you know what? You know what? Let me, let me, let me make this larger point here. I'm going to do this now. We'll, we'll put off every, what was I going to talk about? Uh, the president's executive order, 36 community. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Let me say this. I have a hard time unplugging. I have a hard time disconnecting. Uh, talk to Charlie, talk to Philip, uh, talk, talk to Drew at my office or, or the pig farmer, my old boss. Uh, it is, it is with universal derision. Talk to my family. Uh, I am universally derided for my inability to not work. Uh, in fact, I mentioned in the first hour when I went, I took a trip to Las Vegas with Chris Burns back in November, just to get away for a few days. And the internet in my room was turned off and my devices were confiscated as best they could to make me get away. I don't like to be detached from the news. And I did not realize how just overwhelming the news cycle has been, particularly with no break. I, I've I've had off three days since January 2nd. Uh, I actually had days scheduled off and wound up coming into work on those days. Like, for example, I took off a couple of weeks ago and then the vice president came and I wound up going to Atlanta to interview the vice president. So, so vacation days became work days. And it finally just caught up to me, the stress of the news cycle, everything else that's happening, and I completely unplugged, uh, barely looked at social media, didn't really go on Facebook, went on Twitter, I think t- all of two times, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, for just a few minutes. And it is amazing how much better I felt, how much the stress disappeared, how much I could relax. It reminded me of something C.S. Lewis said, and I, I, I have a hard time finding the exact quote. But someone once wrote C.S. Lewis and wondered if we're supposed to care about the things that happen on the other side of the world. I, I, I don't want to do a bad paraphrasing of Lewis, but, but essentially he said no. And I am increasingly a believer in that. We should be informed about what happens in the world. We should know what's going on. But increasingly, the news media is not trying to inform us about what's going on. It's trying to make us care about what's going on. It's trying to to whip us into a frenzy about stuff that's going on. Uh, When none of it is in our control, we can't exercise control to do anything about those things. None of us have a time machine to be able to go back in time and stop what happened to George Floyd or Ahmed Arbery. None of us could be at the Wendy's in Atlanta and stop what happened to Richard Brooks. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that you shouldn't care about these things at all, that there are things you should care about. Injustice is something you should care about. But I also do believe that more fundamentally, if we are to care and be engaged to make changes, it needs to be in our backyard. It needs to be in our communities. It needs to not be uh, in Minneapolis if we're in Georgia. 
It needs to not be in Washington, D.C. if we're in Georgia. It needs to not be in California. It needs to not be in China. It needs to not be in England. It needs to not be in Sweden. It needs to not be in, in Zimbabwe. It needs to be here in Georgia where we care, where we put most of our energy and, and pour our, our time and effort and resources into changing things. There are so many things in the world for us to care about these days. And the world, the media, the culture is designed in such a way to make you feel guilty if you do not care. And you are to be whipped into a frenzy. All of the things in your life you're, you're to now get get uh, absorbed by and whipped into frenzy by. You know, my, my wife now uh, has a motorcycle and it affects her each time she hears a story about someone else in our area being killed uh, while on a motorcycle. This happened over the weekend in a curb, which she is familiar with. Two motorcyclists in their 20s, one a Marine, uh, were hit and killed by a truck. And it affects my wife each time this happens. And now you magnify that outside of our area and, and, and do that nationwide with you pick the headline of the day. Something bad somewhere is going to happen. A child somewhere is going to meet an untimely grisly death. A, a woman is going to be badly abused. A man is going to be shot and killed for, for no nothing that he did wrong. Members of a church are going to be locked in the church and burned alive uh, by terrorists somewhere in the world. Uh, and the media will play up all of these stories. They will amplify these stories. And they will design the stories in such a way that not only are you supposed to care, but you're supposed to take a position. And I have to tell you, unplugging uh, from all of the news of the day actually did me good. For the first time, I really realized how much when I when I go away, I need to go away. Also made me realize uh, how many people have my cell phone number. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene texted, it was, uh, texted me more this weekend than any other person wanting my endorsement uh, for her congressional. Brand. And I kid you not, uh, most people knew I was gone and, and, and left me alone. And, and I kept getting text messages and it was from Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, wanting an endorsement for a congressional race. Uh, and, and that just aggravated me. Um, it, well, I, I, if I don't know you, there's no reason to text me. And I guess I'm going to have to get a new cell phone number. But it, it was it, it, it the the those intrusions annoy me. Most of them I could turn away from. I tend to pay attention to my text messages, though. Uh, and but man, the world is now designed in such a way that you can't unplug from it. You can't escape it. You can't hide from it. And I don't. I I, I agree. Assuming I, I I think I've got the CS quote CS Lewis quote right. I agree. You are not meant to care about stuff that happens so far outside of your realm of existence that you cannot control it. Should you show concern? Yes. Should you care about injustice? Yes. Should you in some way have it consume your existence and, and, and the state of your mind such that it, it affects your emotions? No. And yet so much of the world is designed otherwise. And, and I'm sure I will come across as a heartless SOB for saying that. But I, I, am, I am more and more mindful of the fact that the 24-hour news cycle uh, perpetuates the need for you to care and care in such a way as to somehow get involved, to right wrongs and undo injustices that you have no control over and you cannot impact and will wind up ultimately feeling more helpless about because you cannot impact them. And the best way to get beyond that is to recognize this situation is bad and I have no control. I will trust in the sovereignty of God instead. 
because we have reached the point, particularly in our political cycle right now, where everything is designed to get you spun up and everything is designed to get you mad. Everything is designed to enrage you. Everything is designed to have you screaming about injustice and double standards and hypocrisy. And not a damn bit of it is anything you can control. I tell people all the time that there is no reason to get mad about the things done that you cannot undo. And there's no reason to get mad about the things over which you lack control. You just have to accept them and move on. And to a great extent, our society, our media, our culture, our entertainment complex has decided that we are no longer supposed to accept and move on. We're supposed to demand change and demand action and 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 demand enthusiasm and demand caring. And we will all be better off if we resist that and simply unplug from those things that we cannot change. And I, you know, I I I I know this intuitively, but it is really hard to practice it sometimes. And it was nice to get away to a place where there was limited cell phone service. And I was intentionally avoiding this stuff uh, on a break to realize just what it does to your brain when you're plugged in that hard uh, and, and keep up with it that much, particularly those things that you cannot affect, you cannot change, you cannot control. Sometimes you just got to let stuff go. All right. The full number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. At the bottom of the hour, Doug Collins is going to join me. Now we do need to note that, you know, I, I, I mentioned the, the media is just trying to make you care and, and trying to whip you into frenzy. Have you heard about this, this story? The, the coach at what, o- o- Oklahoma State? Uh, was wearing a, an One America News shirt, Mike Gundy. And so one of the players has decided he's boycotting the program because a, a CBS sports reporter, Kyle Boone, decided to turn it into a story, to, to make a big deal about the fact that the, the coach was wearing an OAN. OAN, and fa- frankly, I think it's a propaganda network. Uh, I, I see no value in it, uh, but it is a news network. And let's be clear here. They would be doing this. If he was wearing a Fox News shirt, they would be reacting the same way. Don Lemon, of course, is having none of it. So you have to do it because these star athletes, black athletes were saying no. Did you have a change of heart? Why weren't you aware as a head coach that a shirt like that might not be something you want to wear or would be controversial or would offend certain people? Grown man, been around athletes for years, a lot of black ones. This is why this is important because a college athlete has now realized they are realizing their own voices. This athlete, Hubbard, realized his own voice. He's supported by his fellow players. They demanded action and they got it. I, I'm, I can't listen anymore to that crap. You are a grown man upset about someone wearing a T-shirt for a news network that is not your own. Uh, why don't you grow up? As, as far as I'm concerned, this player should be kicked off the team. If the coach wants to wear a T-shirt for CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, or OAN, who the hell should care, particularly the player? You're there to play football, not to judge the, the outfits of the coach. That Don Lemon thinks that this is some sort of uh, slight on black people because it's 
it's a news network that is not his own is ridiculous. You will be made to care. You're not allowed to wear a, 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 a t-shirt. You know what's going to happen now is more people are going to go out and get, oh, hell, I may go get an OAN t-shirt and wear it, and I don't even like the network. Uh, it just, it, it's genuinely bizarre. So so Mike Gundy, by the way, he was on a fishing trip and wore the t-shirt on a fishing trip. And Don Lemon is butthurt about uh, Mike Gundy wearing a t-shirt for a news network, not his own. I mean, just, just again, listen to this. You have to do it because... These star athletes, black athletes were saying, no, did you have a change of heart? Why weren't you aware as a head coach that a shirt like that might not be something you want to wear? As a head coach, why aren't you aware that some of your players may not like the TV news network you decided to watch? This is, I I mean, this is news commentary these days. Seriously, this is news commentary. That, that's not news commentary. That 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 is grade school antics. I mean that that is that is kindergarten stuff. Oh my goodness! Johnny wore the blue shirt. He's not supposed to wear the blue shirt because today is Green Day, and we're not supposed to wear blue today. Teacher, make him take it off. It, it upsets me. This is just childish nonsense. Uh, see, and again, uh, they're, they're trying to make you the the media's trying to make you care about OAN. You shouldn't care, but it's it's a garbage network. But who the hell cares? Who 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 cares? I'm sorry. I, I got lectured by Jenny last week on my language, and, and I got to do better. Uh, the, this stuff just it infuriates. I was on vacation. I need to go back on vacation. Stuff like this just infuriates me that you've got a, a an anchor on a news network and a, a reporter for CBS Sports shaming a football coach for wearing a T-shirt for a competing news network. Who cares? It's not, and see, this is what it is. They have wrong think. You know what's actually going to happen here is you're going to have more people emboldened to go out and embrace things they shouldn't just to spite the media lecturing them on stuff like this. You're going to have a whole range of things people are going to start wearing to spite the media. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 877-973-7425. When last I spoke to my next guest, I referred to him as one of my favorite members of Congress. And unfortunately, one of my best friends who is in Congress, the the Honorable Chip Roy from Texas, was listening and immediately texted me and said, hey, what about me? Uh, (laughs) So I have to be careful with the introduction of Congressman Doug Collins, who's one of my favorite members of Congress. How are you? Oh my goodness, Chip got his feelings hurt. Oh no! Uh, yeah, yeah, come I mean, on, Chip. Texas, he just gives know, me a hard okay. time. I love it. No, Chip's a good guy. He's a good. Yes, guy. he is. So, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, following off with another conversation you and I had the other day, I know we, I, I, we talked about uh, your bride and praying for her. I mentioned my staff member; he did pass away the other day, oh, and uh, so it's been a little bit harder week. Uh, and frankly, he was one with me, and you've been in political campaigns for a long time and have friends close. Uh, it, it's been different. I've been out on some events in the last few days, and uh, and Bill was just always somebody so special. But I appreciate your concern, and I just wanted to let you know we're doing well, it. I'm doing his funeral on Friday, and appreciate your prayers in that. I will definitely. In fact, let me, I'm going to write myself a note on this one because I, I hate that for you. I do. Um, but I, I'm, I know his, his battle had been a long one. 
Um, yes, speaking of you doing events, how, you are out on the campaign trail, and, and I, it is mm-hmm. so rare now to find a member of Congress who's actually going out on the campaign trail. How are you doing uh, campaign-wise, just out and about? We're doing well. I mean, we're people are taking precautions. People, you know, where we need to, we're, we're doing, you know, distance where we need to, but also where people feel comfortable. It's good to have uh, interaction. We were made for interaction in our lives and i think that's what uh you know we do it properly we do it with with precaution but people are glad to get out we've had a very good turnout with uh seeing people and they're glad to see somebody out as well and and talking about things that you know matter in our country right now well i'm glad you said that because i went up i was in your neck of the woods actually you know i'd never been to rabin county until this past week what a gorgeous area and oh it is beautiful uh, I, I was up there and was stunned by the number of stores that had signs up front. They wanted you to wear a mask in the store and the number of people willing to do it just to get out and about right now. It's like we've reached a point where people just can't stay inside anymore. They've got to be out and about. Oh, they are. And what we're seeing is, that, you know, look, Raven County in the Clayton area, the Dillard area, you have stores like that. And then you have a lot that don't. I've been down in South Georgia, been several places. And it's just a matter of, I think, where people's comfort level are as far as where they are. And I think respecting each other's, you know, ability to, to do as they see fit and, and respect their, you know, individual conditions is what we need to do. But, but yeah, people are ready to get out there. They're ready to do it in any way. And I think, you know, we've seen that play out across the country and especially places that have been locked down even, you know, for a longer time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, um, let me let me ask you a couple of things. Uh, just legislatively, you've got police reform coming up in Congress. You've got the president coming out with an executive order at noon today. You, given your time in the Judiciary Committee, I'd love your thoughts on this issue. Yeah, I'm concerned. There, there's several things that we can agree upon, and I think the the president's going to outline some things from you know encouraging best practices, encouraging you know databases and and, and issues. Um, that we can come forward to. I know Tim Scott's working on a bill in the Senate that I feel like cuts more of the line in which we need to look at. Number one, we need uh, to recognize what the police officers do and and that that not every incident should be treated the same. What we saw in Minneapolis was a murder. Uh, What we've seen in other places was not. Sometimes, though, it takes you have to take a step back and look, and you can't associate everything with them. What I'm concerned about, two key areas I'm sort of concerned about is one is the discussion of qualified immunity and how we deal with that issue. Because uh, it's it seems like an easy one at first to just say do away with all qualified immunity. But at the same point in time, you know, here in Georgia and, you know, across the country that a that would open up a uh, it needs to have strengthening in to make it where uh, officers cannot hide behind illegal acts. But it also can't open it up to where everything they do. Uh, is immediately litigious. And I think that's a concern that we're going to have. We're going to talk about that as, as we go forward uh, in, in looking at how that can And But some of the other stuff is we can look at. There's no need for bad cops to continue to stay in jobs and be able to go from place to place. And we need investigations, out, you know, honest, open investigations in which they cannot hide behind things that no one else can when they're investigated for a crime. And those are the things I think we'll see moving forward, but I don't want to see it become political. And my fear is that that's what it's doing. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that because I I have the sneaking suspicion that there seems to be a consensus at this point that there are some reforms that need to be made. People saw the video. We've seen the Ahmed Arbery situation uh, that that you, you shouldn't need to have to see a video for something like that to realize something went wrong. And yet I just it seems to me that the whole situation is going to get hijacked by political forces uh, who would much rather stir the pot and keep the grievance uh, for political gain than to actually have a solution. 
Exactly. That's what I mean. One of the things that we've done before, and this is an area in which we've actually worked and we work hard in, uh, in criminal justice reform. It's something that it is a, it's a matter of, of, I think, money and morals in which that's why the president picked it up. That's why the bill that he signed, the first step act was our bill that actually began to work at the real root causes of what is a, uh, the trapping in the revolving door of our criminal justice system. But we also, one of the things I brought this up last week, Eric, at a hearing that we had, that I was very disappointed that Chairman Nadler, instead of working on a police working group, which we had formed in the last Congress, and it went to Houston, Detroit, Atlanta, Washington, and saw some of these projects we could have been working on. He chose to abandon it, and now when things happen again, we're sort of coming forward with a with about seven or eight bills hodgepodge into one. And I would rather see us do long you know, a bill that actually works, that gives the community and the police what they need to continue forward, but not do so under what I consider a political rush to make a statement or, or to satisfy one group or another. Now, you mentioned the, the politics of this and, and the lawsuits that may come, particularly from qualified immunity. Let me shift gears here to you, to, to this Supreme Court decision yesterday uh, on Title VII and, and reading sexual orientation and transgenderism into it. In, in one case, I, I read the Gorsuch's opinion, and, and I almost read some of it as, as a preemptory strike of his against uh, the Title IX changes the left wants. Uh, uh, are, essentially, I, I think he made the case that there are biological differences, but uh, those don't play out in, in employment necessarily. But at the same time, it concerns me that Congress multiple times has tried to make these changes and didn't. And so here comes a Supreme Court and says, hey, you know what? We'll make the changes for you since you couldn't. Yeah, that's the concerning part that I have. And it's, 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 these are issues that need to be addressed and nobody should be mistreated uh, in, in ways. But when you take the courts interpreting law, when you start actually, and, and it was said, you know, not from the Gorsuch, which may have been prelude, as you said, to Title IX, but the others, when you actually take this and you realize that you're taking a very, frankly, a, a, a strained view of the current statute to make it fit what you want it to fit, um, is why people are very you know, frustrated at times with the court. And Congress and every legislative body ought to be very concerned when they either don't take the time or have the ability to move things forward and just have it punted to the court system. And I think we're going to, where there's another case that's going to come up here and we're not sure how it's going to come up. And that's with the DACA issue. Um, the court should not be, you know, except from a perspective, is it legal or illegal? You know, it was a constitutional, unconstitutional. Um, the, the legislative bodies have got to do more in, in what we actually you know, debate and vote on. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and it, it seems almost to some degree that over, over the years, on a bipartisan basis, Congress has decided they would uh, write obscure laws that needed interpretation and let the, the courts do all the, the sticky business since they were unelected and, and could get away with it, and this just seems to be more of that, and, and I suspect, you know, I, I get the conservative disappointment on Gorsuch as well, that the, a, a guy, I mean, Roberts is Roberts, but with Gorsuch, someone who has taken such an originalist, textualist interpretation to, to really stretch it a pseudo-textualist interpretation, I saw someone call it. It was, and that was surprising to me. Gorsuch has always been a very well-reasoned, you know, and I think this was a strain. It goes against some of his normal writings. It goes against, you know, at least in the little bit I've seen. I've not had a chance to read the entire case. I've been out, but uh, the opinion. But, again, you when you're having to make something fit in a legal context, you really should begin to question why, are you coming to the conclusion you're coming to? Are you coming to it through a, a legal reasoning of what the legislative bodies and the, and the executive branch have put into action? Or are you coming at it from a totally unique perspective? 
in which uh, resembles more legislation than it does actual court opinion of interpretation. And that's always been the struggle uh, as we go forward. But you made a comment just a second ago that's really important, and this is something I fought against, and that is uh, language put in bills that was intentionally ambiguous or placed in bills that is ambiguous without uh, defining what you want. And that's how we've had the overreaches in regulations, uh, through everything from, uh, you know, this different legislation pieces that become regulatory pieces in government agencies, which is why when you have people who've been there 30 and 40 years interpreting what they want to interpret, they just expand it however they want to because the law was so vague to allow them to do it. <laughs> and we keep seeing this now uh, regarding all this. And I, I, I do want to get to the Santiva stuff here in, in one second. But one last point. I'm really worried about religious institutions that are not ministerial institutions. So, for example, my kids go to a Christian school, but it's not affiliated directly with the church. And I, right. I, I'm deeply worried about the left's open hostility these days to people of faith in the country and that this uh, yeah, we may see an emboldened harassment of some of these unaffiliated religious organizations. Uh, I think you, you're you exactly right, because I think I've not had a chance to do a deep dive as far as the, the repercussions here, but where the courts have upheld organizations to to hire within a tenant, if they're not necessarily in that tenant, where does that apply? So it's going to, I think this case could be very, uh, it's definitely a landmark case. The question is, is how does it actually affect the day-to-day? It's easy to talk about it in the abstract, right. but what happens when it actually begins in the practical? Now, speaking of, of not in the abstract, but in the practice, there are six blocks in Seattle, uh, Washington, that are no longer controlled by anyone other than Antifa, which continues around the country to engage in protests. And, and it, it, let me let me get there with you in the time we have left, it, kind yeah. of in an indirect way. In 2018, there were, in the run-up to the election, massive stories and coverage about kids in cages and how America was running concentration camps. And it's not like the situation of the border has completely disappeared, and yet it's completely disappeared from the news coverage. And now suddenly we're into this age of where, where police brutality is covered, and we've got riots in cities. And it, it almost seems that in, in some of these places, there is constant agitation just to keep people inflamed. And now Antifa taking over city blocks in Seattle and the media cheering it on. It is. The Seattle thing should should bother everyone in in this country because I have a question. If they're an autonomous zone, as they have claimed themselves to be, that means that they're not attached to anyone. Why is the city of Seattle tolerating this? Because let's go if you and I had went to Seattle and we decided we wanted to open a business. Now, this is not an illogical statement. You and I wanted to go and build a building and operate it ourselves. We didn't want to go through fire code. We didn't want to go through. Uh, we didn't want to pay taxes. We didn't want to do anything. Do you think they would have let us build that building and operate it as we wanted to? No, they would not. So why are they now allowing basically uh, a group that claims no affiliation to take over six city blocks of their city and then still try to treat them as if they're part of the city? This is it's very frustrating, but it it sets a very bad precedent, a very bad example. Um, that what will happen if a city stands on nothing and is willing to let the the more uh, incendiary voices control a situation. And that's that, that's the crucial part that's really tearing at the civil disobedience in our society today. 
I'm worried we may see a crime wave because as much as we all acknowledge there are police who overstep their bounds and bad police overall, the the police in this country do a fine job keeping us safe and they feel very embattled. And and we've seen 19 police officers walk off the Atlanta police force in the last 48 hours. I'm just worried we're going to see some crime outbreak in this country because of all, all of what's going on. Well, you could, and especially with with they're having to focus their resources on different areas. Um, it, it, you know, it, it sounds really interesting and probably hip to say defund the police or cut back on their The very issues that we're talking about here is there's not a, a, very many police departments in this country, law enforcement agencies in this country, especially on the state and local level, that are already not either underfunded or undermanned. And to continue this process to where law enforcement officers can go out and make a living doing almost anything else and and either make more of the same but not have to endure the stress you know you know as well i'm a i'm a trooper's kid i watch this from the from the perspective of the eyes of a son watching my father and you know over time whenever anything would go bad you could see it wear on him there's enough that they have to deal with besides what goes on with bad actors who do bad things and in communities where they don't feel like they're getting the the uh back up from their own leadership or the elected leadership, then you will see more and more of the good ones leave because the good ones are not going to stay where they can't do what they feel like they're called to do. Unfortunately so. Congressman, i got to leave it there. Uh, you will definitely be in my prayers this week. I know that's not going to be an easy day for Thank you on Friday, but I uh, appreciate you being out on the campaign trail to around the state. And uh, good to see you in person when I can and good to hear your voice. No, it's always good to be there. Take care, okay? You too. Congressman Doug Collins uh, running for the United States Senate. Uh, Interesting perspective there, having been the ranking Republican on the Judiciary Committee that now is going to be considering the police reforms around the country. 36 communicating intelligent civilizations could be in our galaxy. A study says, I love how the media seizes on these sorts of reports. Remember the the media seizing on the report? There was that, um, um, what is it? Extra, um, extra solar system uh, object that, that it was a foreign object that came into the solar system uh, sailed around the, the sun and, and went back out and it was happened so fast. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, so fast, scientists couldn't prepare, couldn't get a study. Some scientists came out and said, given its trajectory, it could be a spaceship. And the media seized the story. <gasps> we could have had an extraterrestrial encounter with a spaceship. no. Turns out it was potentially just a comet. Um, there, there were easier explanations than than aliens. Well, here, this is CNN, but it's not just CNN. It's a bunch of others. Uh, Earth has proven unique in its ability to host life in the universe so far, leading us to question if we're truly alone. Maybe we're not. Scientists have calculated that there could be a minimum of 36 active, communicating, intelligent civilizations in our Milky Way galaxy, according to a new study. However, due to time and distance, we may never actually know if they exist or ever existed. The study is published in the Astrophysics Journal. Previous calculations along these lines have been based on the Drake equation, which was written by astronomer and astrophysicist Frank Drake in 1961. 
Drake developed an equation which in principle can be used to calculate how many communicating extraterrestrial intelligent civilizations there may be in the galaxy. However, many of its terms are unknowable and other methods must be used to calculate the likely number of communicating civilizations. So scientists at the University of Nottingham developed their own approach. The key difference between our calculation and previous ones based on the Drake equation is that we make very simple assumptions about how life developed. One of them is that life forms in a scientific way. That is, if the right conditions are met, then life will form. This avoids impossible to answer questions such as what fraction of planets in a habitable zone of a star will form life and what fraction of life will evolve into intelligent life as there are not answerable until we actually detect life, which we haven't done. So they developed the astrobiological Copernican principle to establish weak and strong limits on life in the galaxy. So essentially, you got a bunch of people who are speculating and in so speculating uh, have determined there could be 36 active or really 35 because you got to subtract earth if we're going with communicating intelligent civilizations. So there could be 35. We, we've seen enough Don Lemon in the last couple of days to realize you got to take the intelligence out, out of earth. So we're only got 35 in the galaxy potentially. And they say, maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to get them with with, with signals. Here's, here's the thing. I don't actually think, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote an entire space trilogy. Uh, and the whole uh, point of the Chronicles of Narnia as well, ultimately, is that, that God can create different planets and different worlds uh, through different dimensions. Uh, and, and we're not alone. But the odds of us ever finding life elsewhere is pretty freaking small because we're not going to travel faster than light. No one is building warp engines anytime soon. Uh, there, there's no hyperspace. There's no ludicrous speed. And it, the universe is continuing to spread further and further apart. So, you know, in 100,000 years from now, space will actually look different from today. I mean, we, we're subtracting out of the equation, the second coming, which I don't think uh, will, will take place 100,000 years from now. It'll be a whole lot sooner than that. But but hypothetically, it, it continued, the world continues on for 100,000 years and people are still around. The world will look completely, the, the sky will look completely different because the things in the universe are moving further and further apart from each other. Uh, and soon, uh, in the grand scheme of things like that, you won't be a, you, you, we won't have other galaxies to interact with. It'll just be us. Uh, we waste our time and money trying to find intelligent civilizations out there uh, when there are plenty of things here in our solar system that we have yet to explore. Uh, but hey, the news media, they got to speculate about aliens. It's, it gets them clicks. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. Glad to be back with you. I needed the rest, but I'm glad to be back. There's so much going on. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Question. What about the virus? What, 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 what about the virus? We are seeing an uptick in cases in the United States. You know, in, in China, they're going back down under lockdown again. Uh, and it, it's it's interesting, uh, but there does appear to be better treatments now that, that are coming in uh, for 
to help with the disease. In fact, in London, they have found that there is a potentially very good, um, very good drug on the market already that is cheap that could potentially help. Uh, and there's other encouraging news out there on the virus as well. Here is this from uh, so where where did it go? It was in my timeline. Squawk Box had on Scott Gottlieb earlier today. Uh, who is the for, former FDA commissioner, uh, highly reliable, highly regarded when it comes to this. Does it, is it a, a, a really positive effect, or, or do you think it's not? Could it be st- statistically uh, an aberration to, to cut deaths by a third, do you think? Well, this is a well-designed study, so I have confidence in the study, and this is a pretty robust finding out of this study. Um, if you go to the CDC's website right now, they recommend against the use of steroids in, in the setting of COVID and acute respiratory distress syndrome. Um, there's been a couple of open-label studies, not not as rigorously done as this, that didn't show a benefit, and we know that uh, steroids used in the setting of ARDS generally. There's been a lot of studies in the past that have looked at it, including uh, ARDS induced by viral syndromes that haven't shown a treatment effect uh this is this is a very positive finding uh and it's a robust finding it's a well-done study so i think it needs to be validated but uh it certainly suggests that this could be beneficial in this setting i I think this is an important finding here today which is good news now now what does this uh mean well according to gottlieb we're learning how to better treat advanced covid19 disease and combined with new strategies like anticoagulation medicine Uh, their mortality rate continues to decline. In fact, this is the interesting thing, is that the number of people dying on a daily basis continues to go down, even as cases continues to go up. Uh, We have been able to free up hospital capacity, and we're also seeing rebounds in states based on the protests, as was predicted, but the media doesn't seem to care as long as people are, are protesting things the media likes, but there are... There are states, this is important, there are states where there are big increases happening. And there are states where we are seeing declines happening. Now, what are the big states with big jumps? Texas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, North Carolina, Arizona, Tennessee, Alabama, South Carolina, Missouri, Utah, Arkansas, Nevada, Oklahoma, Puerto Rico, Oregon, Vermont, Wyoming, Alaska, Hawaii, and Montana. Where are the, mostly the same? California, Indiana, Washington, Iowa, Mississippi, Kentucky, Kansas, New Mexico, South Dakota, Idaho, North Dakota, and Guam. Now, why do I point out this in this way? Well, because last week, uh, when I was here on Wednesday, before I bailed on you guys for for a break, Georgia was flat and California was on the rise. In fact, California has been a pretty steady increase. Georgia has been flat up until the last couple of days, and it does appear to correspond to protesters in Atlanta. Notice they're no longer blaming Brian Kemp, who supposedly had blood on his hands, but they don't want to say the protesters. And yet, that seems to be what we're finding, although part of this as well goes to just a couple of days of testing. Because if you actually look at the seven-day tracking average in Georgia, and if you text the word data to 33777, I'll send that back to you. If you actually look at the curve, which you can do, the the curve, it's it's plateaued. We're not actually seeing a big increase in Georgia. We're, We're starting to see the decline. Uh, in Georgia, or at least we're, we're seeing it flatten, which is what we needed for hospital resources. 
And what you're finding more and more is more and more people are venturing outside. But people are still self-regulating depending on where you go and who you interact with. You'll see people mask. Like, for example, so I was in uh, Clayton, Georgia, Rabin County, Lake Burton. Uh, the Wander North Georgia was giving you a 5% discount if you wore a mask in the store. Not everybody did. I didn't have mine with me, actually, when I, when I went in. Uh, but then there was an antique store across the street that if you wanted to go into the antique store, you had to wear a mask. And there were a couple other stores in the downtown area that masks were required of people who wanted to come to the stores. And they still had crowds and just people were in masks. The restaurants were crowded outside but not inside. And people were coming to terms with having to deal with the virus in the grocery store on, I went into the Ingalls in Clayton on Friday and I put on my mask and a lot of people didn't have masks on. Now there is more and more research in Japan, for example, now we have Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan are showing massive improvements in the virus by people simply wearing masks that if you can get your entire society to wear a mask, you wipe out the virus in about a month. But in this country, of course, we have people who see the signs, no shirt, no shoes, no service, and they say, no big deal. And then they see no mask and they're like, this is a violation of my constitutional rights. How can this private business deprive me of my ability to enter the business by not wearing a mask? Well, they make you put your pants on too, bub. It's kind of a no brainer there. What I find interesting, though, is how much the media is so against the president having a rally on this weekend, on Friday, I guess it is. By the way, did you know they're now making it, it's it's Juneteenth, and they're, they're making it a very big thing that the president having a rally on Juneteenth is disrespectful for a holiday no one in the media cared about until this year? And at the same time, they're, they're okay with these big rallies. In fact, NBC News, this is from Discern, D-I-S-R-N. The the headline really says it all. Uh, In stories published exactly 15 minutes apart, NBC News cheered enormous crowd at a black trans rally and then slammed the Trump rally as extraordinarily dangerous. Here is the headline at uh, NBC at 4.42 p.m. Rally for Black Trans Lives draws enormous crowd in Brooklyn. As Black Lives Matter protests continue around the country, throngs in the New York City area put a lens on the dangers facing the black transgender community. 15 minutes later, they published this extraordinarily dangerous Trump rally draws grave concerns from Tom health officials subtitle. I'm concerned about our ability to protect anyone who attends a large indoor event. And I'm also concerned about our ability to ensure the president stays safe as well, said one official. And of course, the way the media is doing this as well, while the ones are outside. They're outside clustered together within a foot of each other, but by God, they're outside. Inside, nope, they may be wearing masks and socially distanced, but they're inside and that's bad because we're Twitter experts. Really is amazing how all these people are experts on Twitter, even though they're not in real life. Uh, And it really is predictable. It is completely predictable that the media would go nuts over the president having a rally, but they've been okay with this. You know, the other thing, So you've got this big black trans lives matter rally in New York City that the media is all okay with. And you've got the mayor of New York City locking 
playgrounds in Jewish communities barring Jewish residents of New York City from going to playgrounds. They're outside. Do they not want to get there? There is no known transmission from a child to an adult. And yet in New York City, they are locking the playgrounds so that Jewish residents cannot actually go take their kids outside to get fresh air. And the media is absolutely silent about this. It is, it's, it's genuinely silent. The hypocrisy on this is staggering. The, the media being silent on that. It really actually is striking to me that uh, the media would do this. And now, of course, there's all this buzz about a potential shutdown again. Uh, the media, of course, championing the idea, we may all shut down again. The virus is spreading. You, you know, here's Larry Kudlow. I, I think, um, you know, talking to the health people, uh, this is nowhere near uh, some kind of second wave, nowhere near it. They believe that we have a lot more experience with this. We have a lot better equipment to deal with this, and we can send teams in uh, to these particular places uh, and calm things down and get the numbers back down. We have to observe uh, best practices uh, on masks, uh, face coverings, where, where whatever the local state guidelines are, they should be observed. I mean, that could mean face coverings. It certainly means uh, the proper distancing, maybe the temperature taking, and that's what private industry is trying to do. So we have to observe that. Um, I understand the market is jitterous about this, but I think this can turn out fine. Uh, we have no intention whatsoever of uh, shutting down the economy. The cost of that would be much greater than the cost of, uh, of uh, uh, keeping it open. Uh, he, he starts to, he clearly has stepped back a little bit for the microphone there towards the end, but he, he, there are no plans to shut down the American economy again. And, and here's the thing. Can, can we rewind the back to February, March, when we were starting to look at shutdowns in the nation? What did they all say? Every single one of them, they said it was about flattening the curve, the curve has been flattened in the United States. Testing is up, cases are down, hospitals are not overwhelmed. You're not hearing about tragedies at Phoebe Putney in Albany, Georgia anymore. You're not hearing about the New York City crisis and hospitals anymore. We've been able to, to ramp up our resources. We've been able to take care of the situation. And yet the media has gone into full-blown hysterics at this point. I, y'all, I, I, a growing sense of me, I really, really do believe is a growing sense of things that so much of what's going on right now is predicated on not wanting the economy to rebound for fear that it might help the president. So the protests, the massive protests are fine, but letting people protest to go back to work, that's bad. Having people show up at, at, at their employer is bad. Uh, time and time again, it goes, it's all about keeping the economy shut down because it's all about in some way hurting the president. I can't help but conclude that when the media is, is willing with these protests to take such a, a stridently pro protest tone and then to see the president wants to have a rally. Oh no, you can't have a rally. What if he did it outside? Would you care? 
What if he did it on a football field? Would you care? Yeah, you, you're, you're darn right. The media would still be upset about it. It's like this OAN thing. You're going to have a meltdown. Listen, I don't watch OAN. OAN is a garbage propaganda network for the president. I would rather watch Russia Today or Al Jazeera. At least it's better produced propaganda. But the fact that the media is having a meltdown over a football coach wearing the T-shirt of this TV network is upset. Uh, it's, it's absurd. The, the, the sh- naming and shaming of people who are doing stuff that you disagree with, where does it end? It doesn't end. That's the problem. So many people are defensive about tearing down the Confederate monuments because they know it doesn't end there. Then they come for George Washington. Then they come for, you know, they're trying to tear down a statue of Abraham Lincoln in, in Massachusetts now. Where does it end? I had a law school professor uh, who would say it's only a slippery slope if you if you allow the slide. The problem is, in this country, the media wants the slide. And so the media is shaming the people who are preventing the slide. And when you say this far and no further, it's really hard to say that because the media is ever advancing, ever working backwards. You cannot have honest conversations about race in this country while you're also having purges of history. By the way, it's like Louis Giglio. I I think it was Louis Giglio. They had a conversation about race. Uh, at his church, it, it was an open, honest, frank conversation, uh, and he he was with Dan Cathy and Louis Giglio, and uh, th- there was a Louis Giglio used the phrase "white blessing" instead of "white privilege." He he got it wrong, and now they want to they want to burn him down for a misstatement. You can't have honest conversations when you're willing to go after the good guys like that uh, because of a misstatement. He's come out and clarified. He, he shouldn't have said it that way. He's sorry, and yet they want to come after him. This is all about the destruction of people. It is a cultural revolution. It has nothing to do with anything legitimate or honest, and that's exactly the same with coverage of the virus at this point. Well, now that John Ossoff has made it without a runoff into the general election campaign against David Perdue, uh, the Republican uh, Senatorial Committee is beginning to have fun. They refer to him as a human cash incinerator. Uh, running to work for Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi, and the American Communist Party, not Georgia. Here, friends, is uh, the video they have just rolled out in the last few minutes. Remember this guy? He's back, and he'll say anything to get elected. But Georgia's not buying it. John Ossoff lied about his resume. I'm Han Solo, captain of the Millennium Falcon. He opposed the middle-class tax cuts. He supports dismantling our private health care system and has business ties with Al Jazeera. But he did score an endorsement from the National Communist Party, so that's something. His liberal pals in California and Washington helped him raise $30 million for his last campaign, and now they're at it again. I very much want Ossoff to win. John Ossoff is a young man, Georgetown. We're very proud of that. They're trying to give Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer a rubber stamp in Washington. But we won't let Washington Democrats determine Georgia's future. John Ossoff, he's just another privileged liberal. Another privileged liberal. You you know, one of the things I suspect they're going to do, I don't have inside information on this, but I suspect, so... I mentioned this last week. I was on a roundtable of journalists, and one of the journalists asked the others on the panel, had they ever seen John Ossoff's investigative work? None of them had. He's apparently done investigative work, and he's done it with Al Jazeera. Uh, How does John Ossoff have the money that he has? 
How is he worth as much as he's worth at his age? Where did he get his money from? That's going to be, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be a line of attack. And, and the reason is this. David Perdue may be very wealthy now, but David Perdue is a self-made man. David Perdue made his own money. Uh, he is a very middle-class upbringing. His parents were public school teachers in middle Georgia. Uh, he got a job, got into business, made a lot of money, became the CEO of Dollar General, uh, retired, and is now in the Senate. Where does John Ossoff, a 30-something, have the amount of money he has, and particularly when he claims that he's an investigative journalist? And I don't know any journalist who knows of any of the work that John Ossoff has done. I I, I do have to question, though, whether or not this is a lot. Of, and, and look, they, I know they do polling. I know they look at this stuff, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, I, I, I don't know that the attacks work as well as a lot of Republicans think they do, that, oh, the Communist Party is endorsing him and, and um, Bernie Sanders. is now, now, in a normal year, it probably would, but it, I really do think that 2020 is going to be defined by the president. And in a lot of states, there's more and more data showing that if the president can't turn himself around, uh, he's going to take out a lot of good people with him. Joni Ernst in Iowa is one of those. She's now losing, uh, and Donald Trump is only a point ahead in a state he won uh, without a fight, really, against Hillary Clinton. He's now struggling to stay even a point ahead of Joe Biden. There are problems out there, and the president's team actually knows they have problems. You all can say the polling is wrong. The president's team is worried about the polling they're doing. Well, look, it depends who you talk to, and there is a sense of proportion, you know, that we are in June and there is a fair way of time to go. But they're worried. They're worried to some extent because um, the polling obviously doesn't look good. It doesn't look good nationally. It doesn't look good in the key swing states. And they've seen a fairly significant drop-off in support among independents. They've got the widest gender gap uh, with Joe Biden that we've seen, I think, since the advent of polling. It's about 25 percentage points the last time I checked. And they've seen these numbers move substantially as a, as a correlation to President Trump's handling of these protests. Now, he does have a very solid base and he does have the economy. When you go into these polls, voters still by double digits uh, favor Donald Trump over Joe Biden, over who is best to handle the economy. So their comeback strategy is going to be squarely focused around the economy, squarely focused around a visual contrast with Joe Biden and President Trump being the candidate to reopen the country. And U.S. retail sales surged 17.7% in May, according to the Commerce Department. There are liberals online speculating they're rigging the numbers to help the president. That, that's where we are as a country, folks. Uh, here's the thing. If the president can make it about the economy and make it about, about a, a crime wave that I suspect is coming, he wins. If he can't change the narrative right now from the chaos, though, the president's going to lose and take out people with him. That's just the reality of the politics. There, there's no sense dancing around it. Even the president's team recognizes this and is trying to change as a result. Well, I'm going to go there. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I am going to do this. I'll, I'll even record it and put it on Instagram to keep Philip happy. How about that? <laughs> now let me make sure I hit the actual button. Louis Giglio, uh, the the noted pastor in Atlanta who, who has organized the Passion Conference and all for years, has been very outspoken against uh, injustice, racial injustice in the country. Uh, had a conversation with Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, 
and uh, Lecrae, the rapper, the Christian rapper. I want to play you the now controversial part. It's interesting because I feel like on the inside of the church, we're fighting this historical context you talk about. In other words, we love the blessing of the cross, but we don't we don't love to sit in it and realize this is what God's asking me to do, to die to myself and to live for him, whatever context that's going to look like for me. But I want to flip that upside down because I think the other side of it is true with our nation's history. We miss, we understand the curse that was slavery, Uh white people do, and we say that was bad, but we miss the blessing of slavery that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in and lived in. And so a lot of people call this white privilege, and when you say those two words, it just is like a fuse goes off for a lot of white people because they don't want somebody telling them to check their privilege and so i know that you and i both have struggled in these days with hey if the phrase is the trip up let's get over the phrase and let's get down to the heart sure let's get down to what then do you want to call it and i think maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing that i'm living in the blessing of the curse that happened generationally Mm -hmm. that allowed me to grow up in Atlanta and you know you're talking about being 57 if you were 57 I can't imagine being that old Dan and being 57 (laughs) but uh, I've said to our church Lecrae a few weeks ago when I was born the day I was born on Boulevard at Georgia Baptist Hospital in 1958 black people did not have equal rights in this city not my grandparents lifetime or their lifetime in my lifetime this is right now mm-hmm. what we're talking about today so okay he, uh, louis giglio he, he's famous he, he's he's got a lot of books uh, he's got a huge church and, and he was too clever by half by referring to this as a white blessing and it, but can you not understand what he meant that we in some way if you're white, are privileged, for lack of a better word, and I too hate the phrase white privilege, uh, you have benefited from things that you could not have benefited from uh, had black people not been for so long treated as second-class citizens or, or enslaved. Now you can quibble with it. You can you can you can treat it as controversial, and you can probably say no. We we shouldn't treat this as white blessing. Uh, that we. But his point is that white people benefited from the curse of slavery. White people profited from other people being enslaved. Here's the thing. He's trying to have an honest conversation with Lecrae about race and he is acknowledging that white people benefited from a system they were blessed by an unjust system to use his language and you can disagree with his language you can say it makes it sound too good but you shouldn't you are you disagreeing with his point because a lot of people are making the point he's trying to make and even if he's making it badly here he's trying to make a point that a lot of people who are white benefited from a system of oppression that hurt other people and that they need to acknowledge their benefit came at the expense of other people. That That's the point he's making. 
And I, I played you. It, it is a minute, 56-second clip so that you can have that entire context to see that's the point he's making. And he's being savaged today. In fact, uh, one of the people who was upset with him is uh, upset that he apologized to a white Washington Post reporter as opposed to apologizing to black people. Um, I, I, I got to tell you guys. If you want to have an honest conversation about race, you can't go after people like Louis Giglio who agree with you. You may not like the word choice that he used, but he is agreeing with you that white people benefited from a system of oppression. If you're going to go after a guy like Louis Giglio who wants to engage in the topic and also engages it in a way with which you agree and yet you're going to attack him because he used words you don't like, you're not going to have the honest conversation that you all claim you want to have. You're not going to be able to get buy-in from people who are too scared to speak because you might destroy them for agreeing with you but using words the wrong way. There, There is something cult-like that we want to have this conversation with you, but by God, you better use our liturgy and our phraseology or else you, you can't you can't have that conversation. Here comes Louis Giglio, noted pastor, noted author, good guy. No one questions his heart. Having the conversation everyone says needs to be had, having it with a black guy, uh, Lecrae, a rapper, the guy who, uh, remember years ago, uh, this has been somewhat controversial at the time, Lecrae tweeted out on on the 4th of July uh, a picture of slaves picking cotton in the field and said, here's what my ancestors were doing uh, on the 4th of July. A man who certainly understands uh, race in this country, who has been willing to have these conversations, he sits down with a white pastor to have the conversation, and the white pastor is now being attacked, not by Lecrae, not by Dan Cathy, who was there with them, but being attacked by members of the media. Now, now I will tell you as well, it, it, it does seem a little bit stilted here to have two older white dudes and Lecrae on stage together talking, but at least they're talking. At least they're having the conversation people want them to have. But, oh, my goodness, he used a word choice that they don't like. And then to have the audacity to say he apologized to a white reporter as opposed to apologizing to black people. That that in and of itself tells you right there there's an agenda going into this by this person who, by the way, uh, Nicola Minzi is the person who pointed this out, uh, and she's got bylines at the Religious News Service and the Christian Post and Vibe Magazine and, and the Faithfully Magazine editor. News and culture publication amplifying Christian communities of color, it it says, and and is upset that he didn't go issue an apology to black people, issued it to a reporter, but oh my goodness, the reporter was white. This is why you can't have nice things. This is why you can't have nice things. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but if you want to have the conversation, conducting purges at the same time isn't the way to have the conversation. Shaming people of good intent because they they offended you with their word choice isn't the way to have the conversation. And the fact that they don't see this, those on the left, 
or or who just disagree with people like like Louis Giglio or 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 are out for a scalp, they are ensuring that the conversations that should happen will not happen. And we are all worse off because of it. And we should all be mindful of that moving forward. Giglio may have phrased it badly, but his heart was in the right place. And we are going to focus on the phrase and not the intention and not how he used it. Well, then why should I have the conversation? Why should you have the conversation? Why should anyone else have the conversation and be open and honest when they're going to be attacked and and shamed for their word choice? You want to tell white people you don't recognize what's going on here? Well, then guess what? When they talk to you about it, they may not use the word choices you prefer because you've already told them going into it, they don't understand. And so they use a phrase trying to understand it, and it's a phrase you read badly, and you're going to burn them down. This is why you're not going to have the conversations that you so desperately say you want because you're not really sincere about wanting them if you're going to purge the people who dare to have them. That's where we are as a country. And of course, the media aids and abets the situation. Well, if you think you're not racist, you could be right. But in this day and age, that's simply not good enough. What I did wrong in 2016 is I overestimated white people. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. Those white guys, those middle-aged, boring, nerdy-looking white guys. And white people have been probably woefully late to this conversation. But I'm not willing to let white voters off the hook. Do you believe that, that, that white folks actually care about ra- racial injustice? It doesn't appear that we do. I mean, the status quo of our society is racism, and it's comfortable for white people. Well, because we're white, we have, we have had privilege, even the poorest of us. I sit here as a privileged white woman. I cannot imagine, but I appreciate you educating us. It's very hard to talk about the issue of race. White people particularly don't know how to do it. Well, I call it white mansplaining us. This idea that white people are objective on racism, which is outrageous. We are the least objective. The most dangerous kind of white privilege is to think that we can sit this justice struggle out. It's critical for, for white people, for people uh, in general, to, to stop denying their, their racist ideas. That's why it's time to check our bias at the door and lean into the discomfort that is necessary for real change. The heartbeat of racism itself is denial and the sound of that heartbeat is, I'm not racist. It is incumbent upon people who hold the power in this society to help to do that, to do the heavy lifting. And guess who that is? Who is that, Chris? White people. Oh, you white people. Got it, got it. You bad white people. Okay. I, I, I need to have a moment with you guys. Because I know how stuff like this goes. I, I do know enough about people to be able to do a, a show where I try to be relatable with people. And, and I can relate to people who are going to hear enough of this. And, and they're going to start with, well, I voted for Barack Obama. And yet you're telling me it's not a, it, it's, it's, and again, it, it's a dangerous road to go down. I, I'm, I'm glad I am my own syndicator and ad sales guy. And, and we don't have any advertisers who are going to be targeted for this because <laughs> man, you, you say one thing wrong that they're, they're going to come after you. Here's the thing. 
it's it's like making the, the this is what I always found so silly in the discussions of alcoholism that if you if you deny you're an alcoholic you must be an alcoholic if you've never had a drink of alcohol in your life and you deny you're an alcoholic you must be an alcoholic that 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 seems to be the logic that they're using here if you're white you're racist if you've never had a racist thought in your life uh, you've surrounded yourself with with black friends you've given to organizations like Black Lives Matter well you're still racist because you benefited from the system and and you've got to acknowledge it. Really hard to have honest conversations when when you've got the the herd of the media and everyone else rushing out to to attack you. It, it, look at the, the situation with the chief of police in Johns Creek. Johns Creek, Georgia, the, the police chief is on administrative lead for pinning a Facebook post of about a thousand words in which he said racism is a problem. Bad police officers are a problem. We have to do better as a law enforcement community to fix these problems. What happened to George Floyd was racist and inexcusable, but please churches, you're considering supporting a group called Black Lives Matters. And while all black lives do matter, the organization Black Lives Matters is uh, against Christian faith and against the police. And in fact, he's telling the truth. Black Lives Matters in their What We Believe page has a litany of things that they believe, including disrupting the nuclear family. They claim that it is a, a Western imposition. Uh, the the, the, um, the sexual um, orthodoxy, biblical sexual orthodoxy is incompatible with uh, the Black Lives Matters organization. The organization is hostile to the police, wants to defund the police. And the police chief is pointing this out that there are so many Christian white people who want to show that they understand racism is a problem and they want to engage on the issue. And many of them are flocking to the organization that shares the name of the statement people are chanting. And it turns out that this organization is a deeply hostily left-wing progressive organization, hostile to the church and hostile to the police. And please give your money somewhere and help support this as a real problem, but not there. And now the guy's been suspended for saying it. All he did was say the truth. If you want to have honest conversations, you're going to have to let people be honest and not try to destroy them for their honesty. And not only was he being honest, he was telling the truth. Black Lives Matters, the organization, is a far-left progressive organization. On its about page, it lists a number of things it seeks to disrupt and is against, including the nuclear family, biblical sexual orthodoxy. Uh, It doesn't like police forces, wants to defund the police. If you're a Christian organization, you can't align with an organization like Black Lives Matter because it is hostile to your faith. And the police chief is going to be shamed. This is a this is a real problem in society when people demand we have these honest conversations and then they destroy the people who dare to believe that they're actually sincere and wanting honest conversations. I'm back. Y'all, I, I'm... Yeah, you know what? Let me deal with the news first. Forget about me for a second. Um, The president in about 10 minutes is going to unveil an executive order. Um, And uh, Jake Sherman, who is at Politico, has gotten his hands on a copy of it and has laid out, uh, for example, best practices. The Department of Justice will certify independent organizations to provide accreditation to police departments on de-escalation, use of force, and community engagement. Certification would hinge on the banning of the chokehold unless an officer is targeted by deadly force, Uh, meaning uh, that uh, there will be uh, the president's executive order is going to encourage police departments to get away from the chokehold. It would also include programs to help police better deal with homeless and mentally ill citizens. 
and instill de-escalation tactics in police departments. Quite notably, it would increase the capacity of social workers working alongside law enforcement for the implementation of co-responder programs so they arrive and address situations together. Uh, There would also be requirement on information sharing. The order would create a system to share information about police officers who use excessive force. Certain grants to police departments would be based on sharing the information. Now, uh, some Republicans and Democrats are going to say it's not enough. Uh, As uh, Sherman notes, the president is going to nudge Congress to do more and actually pass a police reform bill. Now, senior aides of the White House are telling Politico that if Senator Tim Scott can get his bill through the Senate, the administration is going to support it. The White House is skeptical Congress can do anything, and rightfully so. The reason is because there have been uh, Congress is so backlogged with stuff, and it's not at all clear Democrats believe it's in their political interest to get a small compromise done. So you could, for example, uh, have the Republicans able to get this through the Senate and have the Democrats in the House block it for political gain. It's just kind of a notable thing. Now, let me read you some of uh, of Jake uh, Sherman's Twitter thread here. There's a sliver of space for a narrow deal between Republicans and Democrats, but time is short. The only person who could move Republicans towards some deal is Trump. It's not at all clear if Democrats believe it's in their political interest to get a small compromise. Republicans are signaling they don't have a ton of more space to maneuver beyond the executive order. A deal could eliminate no-knock warrants and codifying some accreditation standards into law. The administration could be talked into passing a law to effectively ban the chokehold altogether, according to sources, but they've drawn a line at limiting qualified immunity. There are a bunch of Hill dynamics that are important to keep in mind. Senators John Thune and Roy Blunt suggested the bill can't come up before July 4th. Tim Scott wants to move quickly, but Scott seems to recognize there's a risk of waiting. Momentum slows as time ticks on. Plus, July is going to be dominated by the drafting and consideration of the next coronavirus stimulus bill which is a good place to remind me that there is still to remind you that there's still money in the uh, in in the payroll protection program. And Congress is about to take it up and potentially expand it more as more and more data comes out. It actually has helped businesses. Now, you, your business may not know whether or not it qualifies. You may think maybe PPP could help me still. And I can't recommend a better group to talk to than First Liberty Building and Loan out of Noonan, Georgia. They are friends of mine, the Frost family, dear friends of mine. Um, a, the, the, I, I've known them for a while. They've been doing this since the, the early 90s, helping businesses, small and mid-sized businesses become big businesses. They want to help your business. They want to help your business uh, get into the payroll protection program. They cannot guarantee you get into the program, but they want to help you if they can. And uh, they've got the capacity to do it. If you're just at all curious whether or not your business even qualifies, go to firstlibertyga.com. If you're a sole proprietor, you may qualify. If you are a small business, you probably do qualify. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website, firstlibertyga.com. You can find their phone number and call them, but you don't need to call them because you can apply uh, right over their website. They've got an apply now button. You click it, you apply, and off you go. Uh, And if you don't upset your payroll, if you don't have layoffs, if you preserve everybody, then you don't have to even pay the money back. Um, they've got all the details for you. Firstlibertyga.com is the website. I, I very much do encourage them. Uh, you know, while I'm speaking to sponsors, I, I wasn't scheduled to do it right now, but I'll just tell you, I did take my Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce up to North Georgia. But you know what? I was at an Ingalls and they had it, so I didn't have to take it. 
Uh, and I realized, listen, they, they sponsored the show, but I, I, I really, so I have a recipe I wanted to try up there. They had a grill and I was able to try it on the grill. It was a, it was a wing recipe. Uh, it wasn't fried or anything. It was just grilled. And I had my Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce and I thank them for sponsoring it. I mean, I would have used the barbecue sauce anyway, because it is the barbecue sauce I use, but now it's cool that they sponsored the program as well. Uh, so killing two birds with one stone with great sponsors of the program, but also don't forget really do go to first Liberty If you want to try it for PPP.